But today we get to continue what we do weekly is to look to the teacher. The Holy Spirit's called the teacher and the word of God is his, uh, his lesson book, his manual, his um, it's content. And so um, you have your Bibles. If you don't, look up it in, in an app. Go to chapter 21 of Acts. It's a fifth book in the New Testament. Um, there's four Gospels just before it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I say this for you who are kind of new and finding your way around. Uh, those Gospels make up what we know about Jesus, reliable information. And I would encourage you to read them, read them and stitch them together, and you'll see a narrative that's well, it's irresistible. You won't be able to forget about it, and you'll come back often. But then the very next book, we call them, it's kind of a compilation of information, is from this book called Acts of the Apostles. Although we, um, for this series, which I looked it up, is over a year long now, and we're coming to the finish line. Don't let me hear a sigh of relief, okay? Please. <laughs> No, we're coming uh, to uh, a little past a year point, and we're about to wrap things up. Um, and and uh, we've, we've kind of nicknamed it reverently the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because indeed, page by page, chapter by chapter, you read about the Holy Spirit doing really amazing things. I prayed about one of those a minute ago, and I prayed about it with regard to the Westfalls that are at a church not far from here, and we're part of our pastoral staff for 10 years. And it points back to chapter 2 of Acts, which is where everything changed. God promised it, uh, prophets predicted it, and indeed it came true in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and didn't just rock the city, he impacted every person that was in Jerusalem. And that impact continues today all around the world. So um, Acts is very relevant, and Acts is not only of the apostles, the movement of the early leaders of God's church, but it also is, is quite an expose on the work and uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to hear more of that this morning. But I want to come to something that I do, and you hear me doing it right now, um, and that has to do with my entire lifetime. Uh, my practice has been uh, the art of communication. So I spend uh, time, not just on Sundays, but I've, I've spent it uh, virtually every day in between, framing and crafting and shaping statements that I want, uh, I hope, my purpose is that they not only make sense, but they make an inroad into somebody's life as they have in my life. So I don't just, I'm just, I'm not a talking head. I'm sharing stuff that God has been telling me and I share it with you uh, freely. Um, so my chosen career path has had me in a pulpit or standing in front of an audience like this, a gathering like this for over four decades. And, and it's something that um, I enjoy doing. In fact, I will say it this way, it remains the highlight of my week. Okay, so for those of you that are, uh, don't like, and the, apparently the polls say most people would do almost anything, including having their wisdom teeth pulled without Novocaine, <laughs> than to stand up in front of people and talk. I somehow am that weird oddball that loves it. 
and uh, enjoy this. So um, uh, my undergraduate degree, though, this goes back a ways uh, to Fullerton, California, where um, I went to Cal State University, Fullerton. Go Titans. Surely somebody wanted to say that in their heart this morning. Actually, Cal State, right? And another Cal State, we have friends that are now living in Chicago, but Kevin and Julie, and Julie was a Titan. Ask her after church what a Titan was. But anyway, um, my concentration in my work there was speech communication. I took every class I could take on speech and communication. Um, I, uh, much earlier than that, though, that was my college years, I was referred to as mouthy <laughs> by my big sister. <laughs> who, who said what? <laughs> Did you disagree with my sister? <laughs> mouthy. Yeah, she would call me mouthy, and she wasn't happy when I would deserve that title. Um, my, uh, my father used the word smart mouth. Um, not in recent years. He really grew to like uh, what I had to say, or I would have him removed from the church. But um, <laughs> no, he sat in the front row. And, uh, but at my childhood, some of those memories were a smart mouth. My mother, on the other hand, referred to me as silver-tongued. See, she understood me. She, she, she understood me. I'm getting some really softly stated cheap shots from the crowd today. Um, I've answered to other expressions, wordsmith and verb vulture. Those came up along the way. And uh, my mentor in California, Chuck Swindoll, described me as a, 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 an explainer. He just said, you're an explainer. So you can't just look at a verse and go, is that cool? Let's get on with it. But you want to go deep. And that applies to a lot of other things that I don't know as much about. <laughs> but I like to explain things. Maybe all of us do. I've analyzed, here's the point. I've analyzed communication a lot, uh, going back to my formal education uh, and emphasis in that. And there's a uh, really a uh, uh, historic study that was done, and it's uh, the formula 553870. So the next 30 minutes, I better, I better be honest, it probably, I won't be done in 30 minutes, but somewhere around that. The next 30 minutes, 7% of what you hear from this mouth will be words. 7%. 38%, ready? Tone of voice. Yeah. And 55%, is nonverbal entirely. It's, it's things like gestures and eye contact <laughs> and facial expressions. Get it? I didn't say a word, but everything I just did spoke volumes, correct? You with me? Okay, so um, my aim is not just to impress you not with what I'm saying now, but with this message. My aim, with the Holy Spirit's help, is to impact you. So you'll go home and not just make this part of a life group today, 
or a conversation over a coffee sometime this week. But that you'll go a next step and go, hey, I heard something Sunday. And it, you may not even be able to quote the words. Remember, they're only 7%. So I don't even remember most of what I say. But I do, because of the rest of the package, come away impacted, not just impressed. So I give you those details because today's study, um, in step with the spirit, you see the graphic on the screen behind me, it exposes the dark side of communication. What I've just said right now is wonderfully um, healthy and uh, attractive, but the dark side is the single word misunderstanding. Ralph Waldo Emerson was a pretty uh, big player. He was a big thinker 150 years ago when he lived. And he famously said, to be great is to be misunderstood. I don't know if he's talking about himself, but look it up sometime today, Emerson's words. And you will find that it is the subject of uh, unbelievable um, analysis, deep, thoughtful, penetrating, smart people to go, what's this all about? To be great is to be misunderstood, which describes many players in this book, in the Bible. You can go all the way back. I did just for a minute and made a short little list. Moses comes to mind. Let my people go. Did it happen the first time? Nope. Second? Third? No. Like multiple times, kept coming back to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. I would have been tempted to embellish and say, because God's getting more ticked by the minute. You jerk. Let him go. Moses just stayed on point. And uh, eventually, but he was so misunderstood. And then you follow him not very far later. Jeremiah is one of my favorite prophets. He communicated for 40 years. And as far as we know, not a single life was, life was changed. Hmm. That's a great message for pastors across this country today because it's painfully difficult to labor and not see the kind of fruit that used to happen easily, if I may say. Then you come to the New Testament, and who could leave Mary out of a list of people misunderstood? You got a baby bump? How? I'm not making fun of her. I'm just joining the crowd that's going, looking down their nose going, for real? If you haven't done it, play it out if it's one of your children or grandchildren, and they report that's how it happened. And if you're honest, you're going to go, nah, we need to call 911 here. How about Jesus? He comes to mind. Um, Michael W. Smith is one of my favorite artists. Um, and some of you are going, who's he? Which tells you that I'm turning 65 this November 4th. Um, I'm a little older than some of you, not all of you. He wrote a song called Secret Ambition. And I'm so tempted to sing it, but I would really make you get up and leave early. So... 
But I think it explains why Jesus was misunderstood. People went, huh? Listen to this. Nobody knew his secret ambition. Nobody knew his claim to fame. He broke the old rules, steeped in tradition. He tore the holy veil away, questioning those in powerful positions, running to those who called his name, and then he wraps it up with this. But nobody knew his secret ambition, and hopefully you're asking, what was it? To give his life away. That's what the cross was all about. If you were a Jew in that day, you would have said, that's what caused me to stumble on who he said he was. Because we expected a conqueror that would come with a sword, and he knew how to use it. And Jesus came to a cross and surrendered his life as payment for the sins of anybody that will turn to him. Amen? That's good news. That's, that's the gospel. As we shall see, there was a misunderstanding uh, that the Apostle Paul encountered that was nearly as dark and almost as deadly. And it's here in the 21st chapter. Um, previously, Paul had arrived in Jerusalem. And he in Jerusalem's east from where he, from where he was. He was in Turkey, uh, the west coast of Turkey, Ephesus is the location. He caught several ships. 1,100 miles he, he arrives. Caesarea, they go by land up to Jerusalem, and that's where he is. We discovered last week, however, you'll remember this if you were here. If you weren't, go to the, to the sermon. You can check out this part. But he was, he was warned not just once, but twice. Don't go there. It's, it's, it's dangerous. He was, he was given warnings and predictions were made that it's not going to turn out well. Just to refresh your memory, look at verse 4 in chapter 21. We were here deeply last week. Uh, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. This is Luke describing himself, Paul, and the entourage that traveled with him on these missions trips. Through the Spirit, see those words? They urged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. By the way, he's in Tyre at this point, which is north of Israel, present-day Lebanon. When it, was, when, it, when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. So they didn't dissuade him from going. Skip down to verse 10, and you'll see the second. Only this one's not, it's more than a warning, it's a prediction. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, you say where? Caesarea due south on the coast, the Mediterranean coast. We, re, we, we meet this prophet named Agabus. He comes down from Judea, which is Jerusalem. Down, not that Jerusalem was, was um, up in the north. Jerusalem was on a hill. That's why often you'll read in the Bible, it'll say down from Judea. It's referring to the hill that Jerusalem sits on, the mountain. Coming over to us, Agabus took Paul's belt, tied it, Look at this. Imagine this illustration around his hands and feet and then said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, what you're seeing with your own eyes, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are going to bind you, the owner of this belt, and they will hand you over to the Gentiles. Big stuff. Sure enough, in less than a week after arriving in Jerusalem, 
a city full. I want you to hear all three of these words together. Of young Jewish believers. We would call them completed Jews today. They come from Judaism. They're steeped in the law. But they believed in Jesus. I say young because they haven't. This whole thing happened quickly. And they're brand new. Jesus had only been on the scene as little as 30 years before this. Get the idea here? So um, they're, they're young Jewish believers and they turn against him. Why? How could that happen? You might be even asking the deeper question, what was the ignition source? I'm going to give it to you in three words. A malignant misunderstanding. Uh, Let's look on as it unfolds. Verse 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of them went to see James, that's Jesus' half-brother, and all the elders who were present. This is the leadership of the first church. Paul greeted them, and I love this, reported in detail. I would have loved to have recorded that. What God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Let's stop right there for a second. You're there. You're taking this in. You're hearing a detailed, he uses that word, description of what went on for three missions trips that Paul took. The, the visit started well because there was all kinds of news about Gentiles and Jews turning to Jesus. And the, the world is, is being uh, turned upside down by this, this message of, of the Savior. Paul gives the leaders this detailed rundown of what, what those three missions trips look like. And, and they stem, if you want to go back in time, all the way back to chapter 13 in Acts. And, and God was given glory in the report that was brought by Paul to the leadership of the church. But the tone changes very dramatically as the elders reveal a rumor that had been circulating regarding Paul. Let's pick up at verse 20. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. There it is again. They've believed in Jesus. And all of them are still Jewish, which means they still are, see how verse 20 ends, zealous for the law. Okay? They have been informed, however, watch now, they've been informed that you teach that all the Jews who live among the Gentiles are to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to their customs. Um, In effect, well, they, they, they go on to say, ask the question that I would have asked, what shall we do? These are Jewish Christians. But they've got something wrong about you, Paul. They, they didn't just hear a message about Jesus, what he did on the cross. 
they think that you're taking a shot. More than that, you're dismantling Judaism and the law. You see that? They, they think the rumor out there is that you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away, give up on Mo, Moses. Who cares? Telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. That'll come up the rest of the study. Uh, <clears throat> in effect, the alleged teaching tied to Paul was that he was directing Jews to give up on all of the things that were sacred parts of being a Jew. Uh, that, of course, wasn't true. Don't forget that Paul was the one who actually um, had Timothy circumcised on his second missions trip. He took Timothy with him. And why did he do that? To fulfill the law? Not at all. He did that to avoid offense. It, it was to avoid offense of the Jews. It's back in chapter 16, verse 3. So Paul was not a, 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 a guy critical of the law. He just saw the law differently, and that's going to come out now. The actual truth was that Paul taught salvation is freely given by God's grace and received by faith, no matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. That's what Paul taught. Okay? The Old Testament laws, listen to this or you'll misunderstand what I'm going to say. The Old Testament laws are of no value when it comes to salvation. That would be Paul's point. Did he just say, I don't care about the Old Testament, let's tear it out and get rid of it? It's just getting in the way? No. He is saying, you misunderstand the Old Testament law. If you think you can keep it and thereby have salvation, you've missed the point. So the Old Testament law is of no value. It has great value for principles and teaching. As long as you don't try to... As long as you don't make the wrong conclusion, assumption that if I can do all of that, I get salvation. And Paul was emphatically against that understanding. Um, listen, people. People are saved today exactly the way they were saved, you ready for this, in Abraham's day. God took Abraham outside Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. But prior to that, prior to what he says in verse 6, he takes Abraham out and says, look up at the sky, a night sky lit up with stars. By the way, he and his name was Abram, Sarah, was, uh, was, they were childless. He was 75 years old when God led him out there. And he gets out there and looks up at the sky, and God says, um, that's going to be your, your lineage. That'll be your offspring. And if you're Abraham, we're, we're too tame in our response. We're like, <laughs> for real? I, am, I can't even stand up straight. My back hurts so bad. I'm 75. And by the way, God, I don't have a child, not one child. And you're having, there's something wrong in the translation, something mis missing here. And God says to him, no. I'm going to make a great nation of you. 
and look at the sky and count the stars. Your nation will, will, will exceed in size those stars. It's meant to blow him away. It's a hyperbole. It's meant to say you'll have so many heirs. Well, Abraham understandably went, huh? But his words were, verse 6, Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Righteous. Let me break down righteous. You're in, Abraham. You believed what I said and now you're one of mine. Now you have eternity. Now you have me. Now you have something that will never be taken from you. It's called salvation. Believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Um, to be clear, Paul revered the law for its many principles. I've mentioned them back in Acts. But the law wasn't and has never been able, not even back to Genesis and Abraham, to save people. That's a, that's a reset for some people, I hope. Um, Paul's teaching, I want to go a step further. I want to I have you read some things with me. Look at, at the screen and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage that breaks down Paul's teaching when it comes to salvation. This comes out of Romans chapter 3. And I think it's coming up on the screen right now. Uh, okay, good. Thank you. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As it was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true Please personalize this. It is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are. If you're hearing me in this house or your house and you're not a religious person, you're not a church goer. In fact, you're pretty profane. Truth be told, you're not a good guy or gal. You're included in that statement. Let's read on. This is Romans chapter 3. For everyone has sinned. You, me, and everyone in between us, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God. Bold print for a reason. When they believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life and shed his blood. There's more. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times previous or past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he was about to do in this present time. God did this for a reason. To demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they fulfill the law, when they do everything that's written in the law and don't mess up, when they get circumcised, when they do on and on and on. No. 
when they believe in Jesus, there's more. Can we boast then? If you're taking this in, you're going, no. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying this book. It is not. It is not. I heard somebody just berate themselves this week in my presence. And they use words I'm not going to repeat here, but it was like, I suck. I'm awful. And I wanted to point them to 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, which tells Paul's story of how he was a persecutor and a violent aggressor, a really mean hombre, bad, bad Leroy Brown, right? And he goes, you know what? God showed mercy to me because I was ignorant and I acted in unbelief. And he rescued me. He saved me, the worst of sinners. And then he says, why? So that in me, people can see God can do it in them too. Amen? Don't be shy telling people that. When people say, oh man, I just really wrecked my life. Yes, you have. So what? Get over it. Turn to Jesus. He takes mess ups. <laughs> really? He does. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. One more. One more. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of non-Jews, Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself. This is my favorite sentence we've read the whole time. He makes people right with himself by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Man, well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can forget about the law? Why not? All I have to do is believe in Jesus and live as I please. Of course you shouldn't do that. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. What's that mean? Because we belong to Jesus, who was the keeper of the law. That's gospel. Um, so those facts represent what Paul taught and practiced about the law throughout his, all of his missionary trips. He never wavered a bit. Even so, rumors are often like wildfires. And you can't stamp them down. And James and the Jerusalem elders recommended prompt action, Paul. This town is about to blow up because they got this view of you. And it was circulating. So this was the plan that they hatched. Look back at the text, verse 23. So do, this will certainly, they'll hear about you. What are we to do? So do what we tell you. There are four men here in our city who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. More on that in a sec. Then everyone will know there's no truth to these reports about you, Paul, that you don't give a rip about the law. But that you, are, you yourself are living in obedience, obedience to the law. 
As for the Gentile believers, we've already written to them back in chapter 15 things that they should do. They should abstain from, from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat of strain, strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Um, so the next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. He was entering this ceremony with them. And then he went to the temple to give notice of the day and the days of purification and when they would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Uh, <clears throat> a word about this ceremony it has to do with a Nazarite vow, a, an incredibly revered custom in Judaism. I didn't uh, ask for more slides to show you because it would just, you need more time to process Numbers chapter 6. So you ought, to, you ought to check that out deeply. But most people who took a Nazarite vow did so for a set season and a set reason. Think of this as committing yourself to prayer for a month. Say you got a big decision. So you say, God, I'm making a vow. I'm going to meet with you every morning for this time. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to wait on you. I will sit in silence before you. I will... Listen uh, to counsel this month. Direct wise women and men to me that will share words that you have for me. So it's a season and it's a set reason. It was to show a separation for a time of seeking and, and serving God. So it's really a cool and very, very wonderful custom that they had. Uh, during such a time, people would abstain from uh, alcohol, and all, um, all aspects of the grapevine. So no grapes, no raisins, no, um, no uh, vinegar, no contact. Another thing that they stayed very clear from is contact with anybody dead and, um, and, and diseased. They would also have their hair shaved because during that month in my example, their, their hair was allowed to grow long. In some cases, these vows went much longer than a month that I've illustrated with. At the end of one's vow, the Nazarite ceremony would take place. And they, these participants would come, and, um, and there's a, a kind of a set procedure in Numbers chapter 6. You'll, you'll appreciate it. It's really cool. And they come together in this, and they make a sacrifice and an offering, and then they they uh, get a haircut. I mean, they shave their head, right? Because in some cases, it's, it's kind of ratty. It's long. And then they celebrate. They actually have wine with a meal. And it's kind of a, the, the Nazarite vow is over. Let's celebrate what God must have done in your life during this season for the reasons that you were making this vow. By the way, there are only two people in the whole Bible that made or, or were part of a Nazarite vow for life. You might remember one of them being um, Samson, uh, one of the judges. And, uh, and his hair was really long. That's a big part of his story. And things went really bad when a harlot that he, um, you know, lost control with uh, cut, her, cut his hair. And, and it was a game changer for him. The other was John the Baptist in the New Testament. Those two. Uh, so, since the four men in verse 23, these four men 
um, had completed their vow, the elders' reasoning was simple. These guys have come from a very sacred custom, and we want it to be seen by these critics who formed a wrong opinion, a misunderstanding about you, Paul, that you don't give a rip about the law of Moses. We want them to see you actually doing the vow with them. And it, by the way, this was a small fortune they had to pay. We want them to see you're paying the bill for these poor. You could say it was for show, but Paul, we just clearly read it, he was in it with them. So it was all kind of in plain view, and they thought, well, this would silence the errant misunderstanding that was circulating, that Paul viewed the law with disregard. Uh, I need to tell you on the front end, it didn't accomplish the purpose at all. The rest of this episode reveals uh, the principle that strong, strong resistance to truth is embedded in every misunderstanding. You face a misunderstanding in your life and you try to clear it up and you run into walls and obstacles, it's because distruth, misinformation, it, it becomes, that's why I call it malignant. It becomes attached. And it's really difficult to, to, to clear out. Verse 27 tells us more about this and it reads a ways here. When the seventh day... Seven days were nearing uh, completion. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Just a week later. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. They were in the temple. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple. Oh, Okay. Gentiles and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, we've covered him earlier, the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. You got to just let the cadence carry you away. Get, get involved in it. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, immediately closing the gate and shutting it tight after he left. While they were trying to talk to him, have a conversation. Now they're, they're proceeding with executing him. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops and the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He had at once took some officers and soldiers and ran to the scene with the crowd there. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowds shouted one thing and some another. They're asking Paul this question. And people in the crowds are going berserk, overshadowing and overshouting Paul. And since the commander could see this was not going anywhere, this is not going to get to the truth at all because of the uproar. He ordered Paul to be taken to the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he was, picture this scene, he's lifted up over the shoulders of the, of the, of the soldiers and they carried him away from them to the shouts, get rid of him. Kill him, came the cry of the crowd. What a misunderstanding. 
the rumor about Paul had persisted. So as a result of this irrational reaction of a few, the whole city joins in. And it is spun into a frenzy intent on killing him. In fact, did you catch the words? We read it already. They were already in the process of beating. Stopped beating Paul. Wow. Reminiscent of a riot uh, just a couple pages back, if you take the time. Acts 19. Some of these cats are from Ephesus. Remember when the city was in a complete uproar and the text tells us they didn't even know which side they were on. They had no one. So why are you burning the city? I don't know. Everybody else is. Oh, that's great, genius. Let's But it's groupthink or lack of thought entirely. Uh, They would have done away with him if it weren't for the quick action of this Roman regiment. I did some study on that. I was fascinated. I've I've always thought just a few people, but I thought, how do you quail a crowd that size? It's over 200, most likely. Soldiers came in riot gear. This is an impressive show of force. And... um, and, and they, they temporarily, at least, verse 32 says, they stalled the proceedings. I'm going to say Paul was mercifully arrested. It's like, get me out of here. Um, probably likely to, to save him or rescue him from the crazed crowd. And, uh, and that only caused the crowd to spool higher. Uh, Verse 36, I know it brings the memory for you back. Crowd followed, keeping, uh, kept shouting, get rid of him. Reminds me of what happened, and Paul probably triggered a memory of what he had been told about Jesus when the crowd repeated, crucify him, crucify him. This This is not good. So, as you and I seek to stand out for Jesus, let's talk about a, um, an implication or two. Um, inside Paul, uh, Luke rather, who's the writer of this narrative, uh, you can almost hear this, almost like we flipped off the audio. And there's this crazy, uh, aroused, riotous crowd that's that the door closes and it seals off the sound and we're told in verse 37 by Luke as the soldiers were about to take him into the barracks Paul asked the commander uh, can I can I say something to you it's almost like the the volume goes down that's why my volume's going down do you speak Greek Paul uh, the commander asked Uh, Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? It's called rumor. He he had it wrong about Paul too. Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak. Verse 39 ends to the crowd. 
In the exchange, Paul reveals something here, uh, uh, an impressive resume. He notes, by way of clarification, who he wasn't, verse 38's question. No, I'm, I'm not that Egyptian that you think I, somehow somebody told you I was. That's not me. I'm not that guy. But that was a clear surprise to the commander, was it not? He thought, you've got to be that guy, and you're back, and you're going to cause trouble. Uh, followed by who he was, verse 39, Paul makes it very clear. I have credentials as a Roman citizen. Uh, he sought an opportunity then to address the people, to clarify the facts, and to hopefully convince them of his laudable purpose and intention. Uh, he would get to speak, that comes up next week, but his goal was never realized. So what do you and I do with misunderstanding? Um, because I know one thing's for sure, I've never been beat up over one. I tried to think of um, an example to share with you, but I have been terribly mis maligned over things that I was alleged to believe. Chief among them, Baptist minister hates gays. It was a terrible season in my life. It has nothing to do with my, my view of gay people. Nothing. Somehow, the misunderstanding grew to uh, call attention to this beautiful church the wonderful people here, and to my character as a Jesus-loving um, pastor. Um, and, and at the time, I remember thinking, how will I get out of this? It was on the news. It was in Mark and Dave's show, driving my daughter to basketball practice, and I was the subject of the show that night. All because I simply asked a question when I was elected to the Beaverton School District. Well, why are we bringing all this uh, propaganda into our district to promote uh, um, a, a way of life that not all of us agree about? And I, you could hear the oxygen suck out of the room. And overnight, that all happened. And one of the ways, uh, I, had, I had friends come alongside me and say, bro, don't, don't jump out of a tall building, don't. Um, but I, I had these words from the Bible that carried me through. Jesus predicted as much when he said, people will insult you and they will hurt you and they will lie and they will say all kinds of evil against you about you because of me. You ever had that moment, show me your hand, where you were cruising along in your Bible and you read something cool like that. By the way, that comes out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. And you go, that was cool. That was really good. I hope that works for somebody someday. But that moment you read it in that time in your life, you went, that is for me. How many have had that feeling? Yeah, where it just comes alive. This is no longer just a Bible verse that Jesus said. That's what happened that day. But when misunderstood, 
You've got to remember Jesus' other words also. In the same verse, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people get it wrong about you and misunderstand you and make up rumors about you on my behalf. My heart changed, not in a nanosecond. It's like I came back from wanting to just turn in my keys and be done with it. Misunderstanding, folks, is hurtful. Big and small ones. Big ones like we just read. Small ones like you have in your marriage. So when you suffer misunderstanding, not if, you need to remember these helpful words by the Apostle Peter. Do not be surprised, he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, at the fiery ordeal. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Listen, stay close. As though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is one day revealed. Amen. If you've been a misunderstood and it's not been cleared up or gone away, would you do me a favor? Would you write me this week? And I will pray for you. I don't have magic words to fix it. This story helped me. Those words from Matthew 5 and, and good counsel I received. And I want to be some of that in your life. If this is a time of rumor and hurtful misunderstandings in your life, let's bow together and we're going to sing a little more and be done. Lord, we come to you right now. Uh, it's clear that um, you warned us about this, but I never really pulled those words from the page and made them mine until that terrible time. And I thank you that, God, there, there was such an overwhelming change in my spirit when your Holy Spirit said, I've got this, Steve. Uh, this was promised to come. You're not that person they've said you are. And I thank you for the follow-up, the impact on so many lives of thousands that I had never met who said, it's happened to them too. And I want to be a person that can humbly land on that's that feeling of being blessed. Even when people insult me and persecute me, say false things about me. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today and they're still stuck by a misunderstanding and the mauling that it brought about in their lives. So together, we, we, this song is real to us. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, especially when misunderstood, my righteousness, oh God, I need you. Let's sing together and let the Spirit of God apply the truth to your life.